You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. And after that, I think the best thing that we can do is to just jump right in. So we're going to be in Psalm 66 this morning. Uh, Just a few psalms away from where we were last week in Psalm 63, but uh, this will be about 600 years later when this psalm was written. And uh, as we we read through this together, I want you to to pay attention to uh, some of the language that is used to describe God and His faithfulness and His character, because you'll notice that there's not much difference in 600 years. And so that's what makes the Psalms so unique and wonderful is that they're a, they're a composite work. They were compiled over a long period of time, but all of them point to the, the nature and character of God. So let's jump in together in Psalm 66. <laughs> How awesome are your deeds. We just saw that this morning. To the choir master, a song, a psalm. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Selah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals. With the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we're We're here in this place, and you promised to come and meet us here. Whatever we have brought in with us, you promised to come and join us there. And so, Father, I pray that you would stir up our affection for you this morning. 
I pray that, that you know that I, am, I have a propensity to want to perform. And I pray that you would remove that from me, that we would see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know, and scholars aren't sure either, who wrote this psalm. But I kind of want to meet this guy. There is something that happened in this person's life that they cannot contain. This, this person is excited. A transformation has happened, and it's got to be shouted about. I... I don't know about you, but I need some help sometimes to express excitement or, or express emotion. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes my excitement, maybe, maybe you're like me, sometimes when my excitement comes across like this. Hmm. You do that, something spectacular happens and you go, hmm. I do it. And I think this psalmist can help. Me and for you, I don't know what it is, maybe it's a cultural thing, I grew up in Wyoming, and uh, I was taught from a, a young age to be quiet and respectful, especially during worship services, nothing wrong with that, but I must have read this psalm back then and figured it, it was talking about somebody else, certainly not me. So here's a, here's a question for you, when do you shout? What occasions or circumstances have to happen for you to be compelled to shout? Have you ever been watching a game on TV, uh, and maybe you're by yourself, okay? It's a, it's a game that you were really, if you're not a sports person, I'm, I apologize for the analogy, just try to put yourself there, okay? You're watching a, a big game by yourself, and uh, an amazing play happens, and, and uh, you just witness something absolutely incredible, and you feel that impulse to just like, get up and scream, but it comes out like, yes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Now imagine that same scenario, the same scenario with a group of your friends. Everyone's there together, and that amazing play happens, and what happens as a result? Pandemonium. Shouting and dancing and all manner of shenanigans are going on with that group of people. There's something about it, isn't it? There's something about shouting, celebrating that's meant to happen with others. It's a it's a corporate activity, but here's the thing. In all my thinking about shouting, I couldn't, I couldn't think of an example of, of shouting that, that occurs as a result of something I don't really care about. By the time the shout happens, there is some type of emotional investment, you know, something, uh, some kind of emotional investment that, that's joy or excitement or, or sometimes it's, it's sadness or, or fear or anger, but the shout is born out of a place in our hearts. I don't know about you, but I, I, can, I can sense pretty clearly in Psalm 66 the raw enthusiasm of the writer. Something has happened that not only changed this person on the inside, it's, it's bubbling over so much that, that he's inviting everyone to come and see what the Lord has done. This person has found something better. And I want to know what it is, don't you? So in that mental list you made of what causes you to shout, does your affection for God show up on that list? 
are the truths about God, who he is and what he's done for you, so deeply planted in your heart that sometimes it causes you to shout. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you wouldn't even, even think of putting affection for God on the list. Maybe you're wondering why you would even do that. And so I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really glad that we have a chance to talk about why that is. Why affection for God might be on that list. Why would having a heart full of affection for God change anything about life? And I think the Lord has something to say about that this morning. Or maybe you're here this morning and the truths about God have become so distant, so far away, that you just don't have affection anymore. I think what we'll see this morning is that the heart longs to be affected. That is, influenced or touched by an external factor, something outside of ourselves. The heart will seek out things to attach itself to. And that thing can only be replaced by something that generates a deeper, more satisfying affection. Because of this, the object of our deepest affection will receive the greatest measure of our attention and praise. You don't have to try to do this. The heart will do it. The heart seeks after affection, and it will be filled with something because the heart is always longing. It's always seeking after something. So clearly, the psalmist has experienced something that has set his affection on God over and above everything else. God has done something in this person's life to merit loud worship and praise to cause the writer to not only experience something profoundly and personally transformational, but also to desire to share that transformation with others. He does this in a couple of ways. Did you see in the text how the writer articulates the joy of, of corporate worship and also the, the power of personal testimony for the purpose of glorifying God? Highlighting and, and magnifying the greatness of God Verses 1 through 12 speak of how the people together can respond to God. He remembers times that God rescued his people, how he continues to do that over time, and how he, he recently had done that for them. And he writes, let's praise God for this. God has done for us what we have seen him do throughout the ages for his people, so let's sing. Let's shout. He's awesome. Corporately, when we remember together what God has done for his people, including for you and for me, it will draw out our affections and praise for him and our affection for one another. And then in verse 13, the, the, the psalm shifts into first person. Did you see that? It's a, it's a personal testimony. He says, I will worship God and offer my best sacrifices to him because of what he's done for me. I will tell you how he has delivered me, not rejected me, and heard my prayer. So in light of that, look at those first four verses again. Shout for joy. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you, sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. <laughs> He's got a lot to say about that. Think about it. The whole world 
Imagine the whole world erupting in celebration and joy and laughter. What an overwhelming experience that will be. But it's as if if the psalmist knows that that's not enough for us. The psalmist, through through the power of God, knows that the next question you and I are going to ask is why. Why would we do that? And so the writer calls to mind two of the great works of God as the, as the Israelites were fleeing from Egypt with Pharaoh's army in hot pursuit and Moses leading them stepped into the water of the Red Sea and pounded his staff down into it and through the power of God most high the water parted and the people crossed. And then right after that the psalmist brings to mind those years that the Israelites were wandering in the desert. And finally they made it to the Jordan River and again the Lord parts the waters and the people cross into the promised land on foot. And the writer doesn't say, wasn't that cool for them? Good for them. We don't experience that anymore. No, he says, we rejoice with them there. This psalm was written several millennia before the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. And yet we get to rejoice in that with them. We rejoice in how the Lord delivered them, the same as how the Lord delivers us. We rejoice as a community of faith because of the faithfulness of God through time. Think of that. You are here this morning. I don't know what the circumstances are. You are here this morning because someone loved you enough to invite you. Someone loved you enough to tell you about Jesus. And you know what's true for that person? Someone loved them enough to tell them about Jesus. And someone loved them enough. And so on, 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 and so on. Back to James and John and Peter. Because Jesus loved them enough to tell them. Think of it. We're here because of something that's over 2,000 years old. And throughout the ages, God has shown to be faithful in fulfilling his promises. And the writer of this psalm is responding to that. Absolute amazement of God's faithfulness. And so some scholars date this psalm around the 6th century before Christ. And it was around this time that the Israelites were, were freed from their captivity from the Babylonians. So 70 years before that, the, the Babylonian army conquered Jerusalem and and took the Israelites captive. And and while they were uh, doing that, while they were were taking the the Israelites captive, they they destroyed the temple that Solomon built. It was this grand, marvelous, wonderful temple that, that they had built. And it's where God could be found. It would have been a very, very significant event and and extremely traumatic. And so after their return to Jerusalem, after they were freed... And after a little bit of prodding from the prophet Haggai, because they were uh, sort of got distracted for a while before they got to work rebuilding the second temple, they finally did it. And I want to read you uh, just a portion of this account. It's it's found in Ezra, the book of Ezra, chapter 3. And I'll just read verses 10 through 13. Listen to this. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. 
And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. They had been through some difficult stuff. Look back to verses 8 through 12 in, in Psalm 66. God allowed some really hard things to happen, but, but begins the recollection of that by saying, bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. In the midst of a test, in the midst of a situation of deep refining, like, like silver is refined at a high temperature to remove all the impurities, in the midst of being caught in the net with a, a crushing burden on their backs and an army riding over their heads, the, the Lord brought them out to a place of abundance. And then their praise and worship and, and weeping because of the Lord's faithfulness was so loud that the next town could hear it. Therefore, because these things are true, because we have seen God deliver his people time and time again, even now we too can shout for joy to God. Well, it's one thing to hear that, right? It's one thing to say that, but it's a different thing to know the truth of it and believe it, regardless of how you feel about it. We talked last week about cultivating confidence in the Lord by occupying ourselves with God and, and being resolved to pursue Him like David. Our affection for Him can be cultivated too in the same way. So my question is, is it possible that we could experience joy and happiness, reliance and trust in Christ, so much so that it would elicit our sincere, pray, sincere praise and deep affection. Thomas Chalmers was a, a Scottish minister, and uh, he, he was a university professor of theology and moral philosophy. He lived in the early 1800s. And he wrote a really short book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, wherein he describes that the best way to rid the heart of sin is not to try to will the sin away or try harder to destroy the sin, but rather fill the heart with a greater pleasure. As I said before, the heart is continuously searching for that to which it can attach itself. And the world offers so many attractive things for the heart to admire. So if I were to say to you, hey, we know that... that the things of this world do not satisfy. So this week, get rid of all those things from the world that's in your heart. Just do that. You might wonder how to even begin a task like that. And I would be interested to know how far you got, even maybe throughout this afternoon, whether you were able to do that on your own. What's visible around us can seem like the only things available to us to satisfy our longings and calm our restless hearts. Your heart and my heart have longing for something outside of ourselves. We simply don't have the imprint of nothingness there. So the heart longs for it. Listen to these words from 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. According to Scripture, the things of the world will ultimately not satisfy us. The Bible says it, likely your life and and my life experience confirm it in that we have surely experienced the disillusionment of trusting in things of this world to satisfy, and yet that longing is still there. There must be something else, And, and to satisfy the heart and dispense of its attachment to the things of this world, we must allow something more attractive, more sustaining more alluring to take the place of the, lesser, of the lesser things. So here's a trick question I heard from a pastor once to help illustrate this. Okay, suppose I gave you all the most sophisticated scientific equipment available to us today and a beaker. And I said to you, go and figure out how to get all the air out of this beaker. What do you think would be the best way to do that? What's the best way to get all the air out of that beaker? Yeah, some of you are thinking, I see it. Some of you already figured it out. I could see it. I'd be proud of yourself. <laughs> Fill it with water. When I heard this, I'm like, oh, yes, I, I could fashion some kind of pump, and I could siphon all the air out and get all the air out. And then, of course, when I heard the answer, which is much simpler and vastly more effective, I thought, well, of course. Here's another way to think about it. If I came up to you today and I said, hey, um, give me your house. I'd like your house, please. You'd be like, no. And you'd think I was a little nuts and you'd say no. And you would say, where would I go? What would I, do? I love my house. Where, where, where would I go? But what if I came up to you today and I said, hey, I want you to, I want you to give me your house. And I'm going to give you this house. And I showed you a picture. I don't know what that picture is for you. Maybe it's like, maybe it's like a, a house on a lake. Or a, or a cabin in the woods, or a mansion, or, or some, I don't know what it would have to be for that to be a, a, an offer you could not refuse. But if, if I did that, you'd be like, oh great, here's my keys, you know? Suddenly, I offered you something greater than what you had. You didn't think it was possible, but it immediately replaced the affection of your heart. Now, forgive me, I know this is a worldly example. What you'd find is that if this came to pass and you moved into this nice new house and you thought that was going to cure all your longings and, and cure all of your, your search for affection, you'd be disappointed. But the point is that affections, the affections that arrest your heart and my heart on this earth can be replaced with something greater when you allow the Holy Spirit to fill your heart and expel the sin. Do you see? Bondage to sin is broken by a stronger attraction. Chalmers says, when told to shut out the world from his heart, this may be impossible with him who has nothing to replace it, but not impossible with him who has found in God a sure and satisfying portion. And this is not something I can do on my own. I can't clean up my own heart. To just stop attaching my heart to things of this world is like my plan to deal with the air in the beaker just desperately trying to suck all the desires out of my heart. And what what happens as soon as I take the pump off the beaker? As soon as I stop, yes, as soon as I stop, air right back in there. It fills up every square inch. 
The only way to rid the heart of its longing for worldly pleasure and satisfaction is to fill it with something greater, something more satisfying, something that even overflows. So what do you say? Are you willing to risk allowing the affections of your heart to be replaced by something greater and more satisfying? Are you willing to risk the loss of the things you are holding so closely in your heart to allow the Holy Spirit to attach your heart to God in such a way that everything else becomes signposts, just mere reflections of the goodness and faithfulness of God? Chalmers continues, if, if, he says, We know if, of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our hearts than to keep in our hearts the love of God. And no other way by which to keep our hearts in the love of God than building ourselves up on our most holy faith. To try this without faith is to work without the right tool or the right instrument. But faith works by love. And the way of expelling from the heart the love that transgresses the law is to admit into its receptacles the love that fulfills the law. And what is the love that fulfills the law? Jesus. What does this stronger attraction to Jesus cause us to do? Repent and worship. It's the reason for all of the psalmist's praise and adoration for God. It's the reason he will be bringing the finest sacrifices to God. It's the reason he says he's going to fulfill his vows he made to God when he was in trouble. Listen, listen again, in, 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 starting in verse 17. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. If the psalmist was insincere, then he would not experience the full blessing of God. And so often we withhold from God our affection and, and place it on other things, hoping that the blessing from those things will quench our thirst, but they don't. Do you have iniquity in your heart this morning? Of course you do. It's something that we all share. Do you need to bring the sin you are carrying in your heart out of the darkness and into the light? Are you, are you carrying things in there that you wish you weren't? Are you afraid you will be cast out and rejected if you ever revealed what is hiding in there? This is an invitation to confess those things. Hold them up in the light and allow the refreshing, regenerative, restorative flood of grace from the Holy Spirit to pour over your heart. The devil wants you to think that your sinfulness is too great. That it's just too embarrassing, too, too much for God. The burden of hiding Iniquity, hiding sin, is so heavy, and yet we are deceived if we think it's the better way. Whatever you think you're gaining by hiding your sin or trying to defeat it on your own or trying to ignore it and, until it goes away, you're fighting a battle that you're not going to win. 1 John 1, 8 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is your heart persuaded? Listen to what Jesus taught in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in in search of fine pearls who, finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The writer of Psalm 66 found the pearl, found the treasure. The love of God captured his affection and he is telling all the people about it. He knows that God has delivered him and he's going to give back to God the best sacrifices he has in an act of worship. His affection for God is overflowing. So imagine this, and I'll I'll wrap up on this. This point. Imagine that you're standing in whatever your favorite place is on, on earth. I don't know what that is for you, but just whatever place... It's one of your favorites. And, and while you're standing there, you're observing the most wonderful things about life that we get to enjoy. How the earth springs forth life, how the, the sun shines upon every field of the land, and the rain waters and feeds the soil, and, and the sea and the land and the sky is just teeming with, with the complex and beautiful varieties of life. And then nearby you, you're aware of all the people that, that bring joy and friendship and fellowship and, and all the wonderful things about life on, on this earth are before you. Then your mind turns to beyond this earth. If you had no conception about what that beyond was, if it just seemed to be a scary and, and formidable and lonely place, a nothingness, a, a wilderness then the pleasures and pains of this world would seem to be all that was available to you. And so what if just then you were able to catch a glimpse of the beyond and you were able to see that in every way the things that you perceived to be so wonderful and beautiful about the world you can see around you was infinitely more beautiful and wonderful there, purer and more glorious. The sun seemed to shine brighter and the sounds were much sweeter and a a clear heartfelt joy was evident from every person. And what if you could see there a peace and a kindness and a good-heartedness and a gladness that united the whole society in rejoicing with the most generous and loving Father of them all? And what's even more What if you could perceive that that crying and sadness and pain and disillusionment and hurt so common to the world around you was unknown there? And what's even more than that? What if there was a way that had been prepared already for you to join them there? That banners had been hung welcoming you. That a feast was being prepared for you. Then in this profound transformation, that which you thought was the wilderness before would become the object of your desire and hope and the world with all of its false promises to satisfy would become the wilderness. Friends, Jesus has prepared that place for you. By his death and resurrection, he tore the curtain between God and us so that now we have full access to him because Jesus has fully pardoned us. He has listened to our prayer and not rejected us. He can take the trivial, temporary affections of our hearts and replace them with something much greater. The steadfast love and saving grace of Jesus 
Christ. We can join the psalmist and say, shout for God. Shout for joy to God. All the earth, sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Let's pray together. God, it's true. There are, there are things around us that affect our hearts every day. And they, they call to us with promises to satisfy and to fulfill our lives that they cannot uphold. And they will disappoint. Father, we, we bring those affections that we have to you now and we ask that you forgive us. We ask that you would stir up in us affections for you so much so that everything else that would call to our hearts would pale in comparison to the grace and mercy that you offer. Thank you for doing this through Jesus for us, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.